There are many people who live in a reality that appears predictable, normal, otherwise status quo, and often unchanging. Yet there are others who seem destined for something more, yearning to learn and grow and stretch the boundaries, determined to lift the veil and discover what reality is truly all about. Billy Carson, entrepreneur, explorer, and researcher of alternate history, is one such person. Many are familiar with Billy's impeccable research into ancient civilizations, his work in anomaly hunting, and quantum science from a spiritual perspective. But what you haven't heard until now, that is, is a profound and otherworldly experience that took Billy by storm in 2009 and sent him on a trajectory from which he would never look back. I'm going to start our show today with a question for our Higher Journeys audience. And then we're going to get right into this great conversation with a first time guest who I am so delighted to finally bring onto our show. And that's Forbidden Knowledge creator and researcher extraordinaire, Billy Carson. But first, here's the question. Does anyone know what the term synesthesia means? Have you ever heard of it? Moreover, do you have it? Have you been called a synesthete? Well, for those who have never heard that term, synesthesia is, this is a formal definition. It's the production of a sense impression relating to one sense or part of the body by stimulation of another sense or part of the body. It's a fascinating and yet very perplexing condition that it's, it's said to affect about three to 5% of the population and may actually run in families. Well, yours truly happens to be one of those individuals as well as my guest, Billy Carson. And it was during one of uh, several long conversations that we recently had uh, this subject of synesthesia serendipitously uh, come up. So we're gonna dive a bit into just what this quote condition is, what it all means, and perhaps most intriguing, is there a connection between synesthesia and ET contact? So first off, welcome Billy Carson. <laughs> hey, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on here. I, I'm not as excited as I am, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Listen, it's so amazing how a, a conversation that starts with one subject can literally take you all over the map or the cosmos, as it were, with other subjects and journeys. And I dare say our recent conversations, we had two, uh, mm -hmm. were no exception. We started as having uh, just a get to know you chat after we met last month at a contact in the desert. And as per usual, one thing leads to another. And you shared so many fascinating personal stories with me, Billy, about your own incredible journey. I, I would call your journey a real life Indiana Jones adventure. <laughs> but but there's one, one that sticks out in my mind and you were kind enough to agree to share it with our audience today, of which I'm so mm -hmm. grateful. It's about your own profound contact experience and how mm -hmm. it led in large part to where you are today. So if you would take your time and share this amazing encounter with us, and then we're going to attempt to fold in the connection, if there is one, to this thing we call synesthesia. So I'm going to say you're on. Give us the story, please, if you would. Oh, no, definitely fantastic. I mean, yeah, we were just talking about so many different things. And um, it's just like you said, amazing how so many things connect together and you, you start to uh, discover a lot of synchronicities between my, you know, yourself and myself and other people that have had these different experiences. Um, and with with going back to the beginning when I when I first had my experience, um, I was just a child living in Opelika, Florida. We 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 were living in Queens, New York, 
in this in Cambria Heights, which was a beautiful little city. Mm-hmm. And then we came down to Miami <laughs> uh, to a very rough, rough area. I mean, extremely rough. It's uh, Opalaka is the name of the area. It's actually called the Bermuda Triangle is the actual um, street term for the area. Really interesting. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Here we they go. Built, <laughs> <laughs> they built the state. Here we go right away from the beginning. I was already in the triangle. Um, But uh, they built a steel wall around this city, uh, which is still there, a barricade, and it's in the form of a triangle. It even has its own Wikipedia page. Uh, So, uh, and that was to keep the crime in, not out. (laughs) Mm, And we would have to sleep on the floor at night to um, prevent from getting shot and things like that. Bullets, bullet holes in the houses, um, the the helicopters at night and everything else. It was really rough. Um, But we did live very close to the Opalaka Airport which was a private airport. Matter of fact, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith used that airport in the Bad Boys movie hmm. uh, to do some of their stunt scenes and so forth. One of the big chase scenes was at that old airport there, which was close to my house. Um, but I would uh, go out in the backyard just out of boredom and watch airplanes go over. I mean, there was really nothing much else to do, <laughs> uh, you know, at that age, age of seven, and go outside, watch airplanes fly over. And, um, you know, we'd take a plane a few minutes to clear the horizon point, maybe three to five minutes to clear the horizon, uh, from my perspective at least. And then one day I go out in the backyard and this um, this orb comes over. It's not an airplane. I know what an airplane looks like, even though the term UFO didn't exist in my vocabulary. I just knew this was not an airplane. It cleared the horizon in seconds. Huh. Uh, and then it came back, hovered above me, which now I can reflect on about 200 meters above my head and then it left out the way it came in and I that just threw me for a complete loop I didn't know anything about aliens UFOs or anything like that in my terminology I just knew that what I saw didn't make any sense and what I saw um, I hadn't seen in any TV or any commercials or anything like that back then this is 1977 I believe it was there's no we had three or four channels there was no cable TV yet um, you know, so it wasn't like uh, we're right now we're inundated with UFOs and things like that all the time. Mm-hmm. But back then, I think the closest thing we might have had was um, uh, I can't even think of anything now. Maybe the Martian show with the horse that talked. I don't know. <laughs> Lo- lost shows. in space. Lost in space. Maybe. Maybe lost in space. I can't really <laughs> remember it going back that far. Not it might have went back that far, but I don't know if we if we were able to watch it back then yeah. on a black and white TV with uh, with hardly any antennas. But the next day I went to school, Rainbow Park Elementary, which was about seven houses away from my house. So it was very close. I walked to school and walked straight to the library and got all the Encyclopedia Britannica's off the shelf that had to do with aerospace and technology. Hmm. And I literally started researching from that exact moment. It's when I dug into researching paranormal UFOs and ter- aerospace and technology and and everything else, that's when my research started, was literally in the 70s. Hmm. Uh, so that's how I kind of got my foot in the door there. Um, moving kind of fast forward into the future, uh, I became an uh, amateur astronomer and was researching the uh, precession of the equinoxes and star locations and the magnetic shift of the Earth and everything else, uh, how magnetic north moves from year to year and how the polarity reverses inside of the um, in the volcanic stones and rocks and everything else every so many thousands of years. And I came to a conclusion that there must be something causing this externally. Uh, so I started looking into that and researching what could possibly be causing some of these magnetic flips as well as precession of the equinox to speed up. Because precession, I'm thinking, should be something that should be a static number, 27,500 years 
But um, based on the calculations that I were looking at, it was it was shrinking down to about 23 to 25,000 years, which in geological timescales, that's a huge difference in terms of um, the stars moving across the sky based on the Earth's wobble. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, is the Earth's wobble speeding up? Is the Earth speeding, spinning on its axis faster? Is it moving? You know, these things are static still. So the only conclusion I can come to was that the, the sun, our sun, must be orbiting something, another body. So when I started looking into that, I discovered something that scientists were calling nemesis, <laughs> which, is, uh, <laughs> which is an actual second sun in our solar system that we potentially could be orbiting. Uh, and now it has come to light in more recent times that this, my hypothesis, was absolutely true when last year scientists came out and said there's a brown dwarf star yes. in our solar system that has planets orbiting it that orbits our sun every 4,200 years. Isn't that something? I heard that, yeah. Yes, and this is real scientific documented scientific fact, not fiction, not we hope it's there, we can't find it. No, this is documented. They've already photographed it. They've, they know exactly where it's at, where the location is. It's outside the orbit of Pluto right now. And I had been looking for this thing for so many years and tracking it through the um, infrared telescope on worldwidetelescope.org, but it's really there. Now, through this, I discovered that um, there could be, uh, because of the gravitational waves, which were also now recently discovered, that um, this causes global warming, not only on Earth, but on all the planets and moons in our solar system, which is exactly what's happening now. It's not from cows passing gas and your exhaust pipes and everything else. (laughs) That does add a little bit to it, but... We haven't we haven't made an appreciable value of, of error correction on on any of the atmospheric changes or on any of this global warming with that. Everything that's coming is coming from these gravitational waves, which are literally warming up everything and melting all the ice caps. It's a part of a, a geological cycle that mm-hmm. happens. And um, I realized that it could cause mudslides. Also, these gravitational waves can cause plates to slip and cause earthquakes. Uh, also, another thing that I realized was that this brown dwarf could be tagging along a lot of uh, debris, comet debris, which is which then could um, come toward the inner planets because of the sun's gravity and wreak havoc, havoc on the inner solar system. And when you start looking back over time, when this thing orbits, you discover that these type of geological disasters are right on time with the orbiting of this brown dwarf star. Uh, some people call it Nibiru, some people call it Planet X. It's got a lot of names over, over time, but um, it really does exist and it really is out there. And now astronomers have been talking about a lot of comets headed in our direction. So I decided to build an underground shelter. Hmm. Uh, and um, so during that process, doing a lot of research on this uh, geological activity and a lot of these comet, uh, comets that may be coming our way and tracking them and everything else, uh, I got approached by the History Channel and ended up being featured on a show called Countdown to Apocalypse, the um, Nostradamus episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they were t- talking about my shelter, showing my shelter, showing the warehouse where we had them at uh, and everything else. And we, we built a structure underground that can save the lives of 360 people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, during all this research, all of a sudden, one day, I'm at my house in Western Florida. And what was the year? The year? This is uh, 2000. I looked it up now. It was 2009. I okay. thought it was 2008. It was actually two, it was 2009, the beginning of 2009. Okay. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm going through... Um, all of the uh, material and everything else, and I stopped. I said, let me go check out the news, uh, the sports news. I sit down to look at ESPN. It's only like 9 o'clock at night, so it's not. I'm not tired. I'm not exhausted. I'm not going to sleep, um, and the house had people in it, but everybody was in their rooms and doing their own thing, and all of a sudden, the room turned into this purple haze, so this lavender, lavender slash purple haze, 
And I thought it was a prank. I thought my kids were playing a prank on me or something. So I turned around and looked upstairs to my left, over my left shoulder to, to tell my son, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Stop it or whatever. Um, and nobody was there. When I turned my head back around, two gray aliens were right in front of my face, within inches of my face. Uh, and, and I was horrified. I'm talking about the same exact description that everybody has given over all the decades and all the years, all the photos, everybody's, all the pictures, really? you know, drawn. When I say they look just like that, they look just they really like did. That. So, oh wow, okay. Now yeah. you've t- obviously told me this story uh, before, Billy, and you know you never cease to be amazed. We we have heard numerous accounts of being approached by a variety of, uh, of grays. Can you give us a little bit more of a detailed description? Height. You said they were mm-hmm. inches away from your face. Yeah. Uh, expression, if any, mm-hmm. arm movement. Were they reaching for you? Tell us a little bit more about that. Okay, well, I was sitting in a, um, a couch chair, um, kind of a, a entertainment couch. Mm-hmm. So that would put me probably about three and a half feet off the ground if I'm sitting straight down, straight up, mm-hmm. but at least from the waist down. Uh, my torso is above that. So you figure that's another two feet, three feet. Uh, so I don't know, maybe they were four and a half feet tall at the most. Because when I turned around, they were right in my face, but they were standing up and I was sitting down still. Right. Okay. So I was sitting down. And they were, and they were. So that's probably probably the height, any between, anywhere between four to four and a half feet tall, no more than five at the most. Uh-huh. Uh, they had these very dangly arms uh, that looked very weak, uh, and their face were these big, huge almond eyes. But it had this web pattern over the black part of the almonds, uh, almost like um, octagons. I would say octagons. Interesting. So, so I don't geometric know if they were goggles geometrically yeah. geometric mm-hmm. patterns in their eyes that's interesting yeah. okay continue yeah. so I don't know if they had on something kind of goggle over those black almonds or if that was just the way I don't you know I don't know um, they had a slit for a mouth uh, two little tiny dots for a nose it wasn't really a nose just holes and slits for ears I guess if you want to call them ears um, when they didn't even open their mouths one bit uh, they didn't try to talk to me telepathically. But what happened was very strange is that my brain literally started shaking inside of my skull. Physically? Uh, physically shaking. Like it felt like somebody was trying to rip my brain out of my head. My brain was literally vibrating, was shaking. My huh. head was shaking. I was trying to scream at that point, but the sound wasn't coming out. It was like I can feel the air coming out of my, my throat, but no sound was actually audible. You couldn't hear anything, Right. which was very, very strange. Uh, and it lasted for, you know maybe a minute, maybe just under a minute, but it seemed like forever. Uh, and so just as fast as that happened, they, whatever they did, they stopped. My, the, the, my head stopped hurting and vibrating. And then they turned around, and this was the weirdest part of the whole thing. They really didn't walk. Let's get a little choked up now because it's so weird, you know? Um, yeah, then take your time. Take your time. Yeah, they really don't walk. They kind of dangle. You know, it's very strange how they how they um, move. It, it's uh, it's not a gait like a human gait where you would walk, you know, heel toe heel toe. Mm-hmm. They really kind of um, dangle, uh, almost like if we were on the moon and we had less gravity or something. I don't know. It's very strange. It mm-hmm. was almost a dangle, and they literally just walked right through the wall. Now mm-hmm. that part didn't surprise me because I already know that with the right technology, all you have to do is change the frequency of That's an atomic right. structure of anything. You can walk through anything. You can put your hand through anything. Mm-hmm. 
So for an average person, maybe that seems like magic, but to me, it's just technology. Right. No, we understand. We got gotcha. you. Yeah, but they literally they dangled out the way to really explain the movement of the the walk, um, and then they were gone. But after that happened, um, a few things happened to me. Uh, you know, almost immediately. The first thing was the fact that this term was in my head: worldwide telescope, worldwide telescope, which I had mentioned just a little bit ago. That term was burned into my mind, and it just kept coming to me over and over and over again: worldwide telescope. Finally, I, I went on my computer about a day and a half later and said, maybe I should just look this up. So I looked up Worldwide Telescope, and it ended up being a uh, public access to all the satellite data and probe data from the European Space Agency and NASA that we've all paid for with our tax money that a lot of people didn't even know existed, including me. I downloaded the software from the site. I installed it on my computer. And right away, when I opened it up, I saw panoramas from the moon, from Mars, um, you know, uh, all these other panoramas from this, the, the uh, almost like a Google sky, but a more high tech one from our different satellites with the, from Hubble and everything else. And I went to Mars and I went to Mars panoramas and the first Mars panorama I opened up, uh, I saw anomalies immediately. Like the second I opened it, I saw anomalies, things that didn't belong there. And I go, oh my God, what is this? And that's how I got into anomaly hunting, literally from oh that God. experience took me right into anomaly hunting. I started looking for anomalies and die, and I have documented them ever since then. I've got thousands and thousands of these things now, all from official data, from probe data and rover data, directly from you know these major government websites. Um, and then the other thing that happened was I became extremely thirsty for quantum physics and quantum mechanics. Uh, just a hunger for it was there. And I was not just a hunger, but I was understanding it and getting a very good grasp of, of how it worked and along with connecting it then also to spirituality. So I was able to connect spirituality, almost like, like uh, unified physics, where you're connecting spirituality with quantum mechanics, quantum physics, or making the connection and trying to make it all work together to where you can get a better understanding that this is really truly part of spirituality, and spirituality is kind of part of it, yes. not that they're two separate things. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I became pretty good at it to the point where I, I uh, started a quantum mechanics group on Facebook, which has now about 90,000 members in there. And I've helped many kids with their homework and stuff like that. But I've never been to college for quantum mechanics or quantum physics. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert at it, but I'm pretty darn good at a lot of the majority of the basics of it. And, I have no uh, doubt. Explaining. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. Yeah. Listen, I, I've um, if if um, the audience is like me, we're all collectively shaking our heads just in amazement. Billy, there is so much richness to this that I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to go here. If I, I want to mm -hmm. just interject a couple of things, you know, it's interesting that you we hear countless um, stories of interactions being visited by particularly greys and a myriad of other other species mm -hmm. as well. But oftentimes we will hear from the experiencer that there was indeed a telepathic download or even uh, something that would be an internal. Uh, wording uh, messages that are given at the time of the visit. Whereas in your case, you're saying you did not feel you were even getting a download of words mm -hmm. and, and messages, but rather your brain shook, as you said, physically. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you, it, it's almost like you had an elevated uh, experience in that they knew that they could deposit very, very important concepts into your brain. Hence the reason why your brain was probably physically shaking. And yeah. I, I can't help but think that 
you know, you were obviously on a quest prior to this, uh, this visit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you were just inquisitive off the charts. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that this visit was a part of, uh, you know, plugging into the next level. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to, to bring that in. Just it's really okay. <laughs> stunning. So continue yeah. if there are any other elements you want to bring in. Then we're going to, I could stay on this. We don't even have to bring in the synesthesia, but I think that <laughs> that'll make it, that'll put another layer to uh, the excitement. But go ahead. What other, what other things did you remember? Was this a one-time visit or was there another one? This was the only one that I ever had. Um, You know, like I said, I saw the UFO when I was a child. And then this experience was, uh, I guess, as close to an account of the fourth kind as you can possibly get. Um, You know, and uh, it was just a real eye opener. I mean, something that took me a long time to even talk about. I did talk to my family about it and it scared them. Actually, was one of the main reasons for my divorce. So it wasn't like I was getting a lot of good praise for this. Uh, situation that happened um, between my research into what I was doing, building underground shelters, and now UFOs, I mean, uh, aliens showing up at the house, uh, it was a catalyst for for an actual divorce. So it wasn't like this was um, uh, something I was really proud of and was bragging about, to be honest with you. you know? Right. Well, all, all the more reason why I salute yeah. you, my dear, for coming forward and, and being willing to share. And I, I guarantee you that this will have a, a benefit beyond measure that we can uh, imagine because there are mm-hmm. a lot of other people that are probably going to say hallelujah someone yet another person is talking about something that i haven't been able to so i do yeah. thank you from the bottom of my heart i do oh thank you well yeah okay yeah anything else you want to add to to that as if you need to <laughs> <laughs> no that's yeah that's oh. you know that's kind of really about the summary of what happened you yeah know? yeah so obviously there was a lot of emotional um baggage let's just say Mm -hmm. that ensued as as a result i can kind of relate to that uh based on some of what i've gone through Mm -hmm. but um are how do you feel to this to this day billy are you thinking do you find yourself in a position of because you know that this was an integral uh this was an integral investment uh Mm -hmm. by whomever or whatever to take you on this trajectory are you thinking or cursing them are you is it a blessing or a curse to you what do you think well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, the blessing part is I really think that I probably did get some type of a download because um, a lot more interesting things happened to me, um, you know, you know, directly after that, like I just told you, between the anomaly hunting and the, the spirituality and quantum physics. Um, but the other part, the horror part for it is sometimes when I see the, the grays on TV or hear people giving their testimony about what happens to them, it gets me a little, you know, choked up from time to time. But when I'm talking about it sometimes, because sometimes it comes back and it actually scares you a little bit, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie. Just, sometimes it's okay and you don't, you feel fine. But sometimes it's just those flashes of what happened and you just get, it's a little frightening, you know, because it's, um, it's not like somebody sat down with you and said, look, this is what's happening. This is what we're going to do. And this is who we are or whatever, whatever. It kind of leaves you with a very the way it's done. It kind of leaves you feeling kind of strange at times, and um, mm-hmm. and because uh, it's so hard to talk about, so hard to explain, um, and uh, you know, so many people have that it ha- has happened to have not come forward. It's uh, taboo, and so it's uh, you know, it's a weird thing. So it's kind yeah. of a, both a blessing and a curse, I think. You know. Okay, understood, understood. 
Understood. Well, again, I'm going to thank you for, uh, and I know that there'll be more blessings, uh, not only blessings coming to you, but the blessings that you are helping others receive and not just in telling your story, but in all the glorious work you're doing. And we're going to get into mm -hmm. that more as mm -hmm. well. But for now, let's, let's lift, the, not lift the emotion, because I think this whole thing is emotional and it, it's exciting yeah. and it is uh, still somewhat strange. But part of our maybe paradigm shift that uh, we'll be uh, mm -hmm. more involved in. But let's bring in the synesthesia. Let's 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 fold in that element. Mm -hmm. See where we can go with this. And this, as far as we were offline talking, and we both agreed that I don't know that this has been talked about in this way before. The synesthesia condition and mm -hmm. marrying that with context. So let's let's get into that. What was it? The other day we were talking uh, yeah. that uh, we were kind of going over prep for what we're you know the story that you're going to tell and getting into that that mm -hmm. uh something triggered you to say and i have this thing called synesthesia and i gotta tell you guys i what did i do billy i i think i went what i was like what are you talking about you have synesthesia yeah. so do i <laughs> yeah that's wild i do yeah. i have it as well and uh we won't go into that too much right now but you can only imagine uh, audience that we just continue talking about how we discovered it, and and uh, I didn't even know there there was a name for it, um, mm -hmm. but something had me inquisitive. My, and I'll I'll say briefly, my synesthesia. Again, we're talking about uh, maybe a uh, a different wiring to the brain where we associate one sense with another. I guess that's the way I would distill it. But for mm -hmm. me, it's essentially days of the week have distinct colors. Today mm -hmm. is Monday. It is a pumpkinish orange day. Mm -hmm. uh, and each day has its own color, no deviation, no negotiation, period. It's always been that way. Don't know where it came from. I do not believe they were flashcards in nursery school. People have asked mm -hmm. me when I brought it up because I thought other people had it too. Yeah. Uh, no, these are not primary colors. They're all distinct. So that's my form of synesthesia. Mm -hmm. Always been there, never changes. Uh, I love for you to talk about your synesthesia. And there's, again, multiple variations of it. But mm -hmm. let's talk about yours, how how uh, you discovered you had it, and all the ways it affects you. Yeah. Well, uh, when I was very little, um, I was considered, I guess, if you want to call it gifted in terms of what I was able to do, you know, reading books at 10 months old um, and walking at 10 months uh, I was also a 10-month birth, so I was a 10-month baby, 10-month-old oh. baby when I was born already. Maybe that gave me an extra month head start, I don't know, but um, <laughs> I noticed early on that um, colors and numbers were associated with sounds for me, um, And but I didn't, like I said, I didn't know that that wasn't normal. I'm just assuming that everybody's got the same exact thing, because I'm just a kid, so I don't know any better. I'm just growing up with it, so I don't know that it's not normal. And as well as feeling colors. Uh, so when I see certain colors, not all colors, but if colors are uh, fairly bright and move across my eyes at a specific rate of speed, mm. whether it's cars going by, whether I'm scrolling down a feed on Facebook or Instagram, for example, um, or even sometimes reading uh, digital text and scrolling, depending on the speed that I'm scrolling and depending on the colors, I actually feel those colors in my body which is a very tough thing to really explain, but it, it, sometimes it gets at home, you have to slow down the speed of the scrolling because it actually becomes very irritating um, in, in, in a lot of ways, which is why I wear shades a lot because the shades help with the, some of the sensory overload that I get between the sounds 
and the movement, especially if I'm in a very large restaurant or a place where there's so much noise, um, you know, and things like that. Now, so from a child, um, I would able easily able to associate colors with letters and numbers like S with purple, Y is green, N is blue. Mm. E is a different, E is like a slightly darker green, you know. Yes, um, yes. I is gray, but a charcoal gray. So, you know, how all of them have these specific different types of levels of colors. Mm-hmm. Um, but that actually would help me remember things, to be honest with you. Because of association. <laughs> I can see that, right. certainly. Yeah. 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 Right. So a lot of my memory is fairly good in, in a lot of things that I do because I'm able to do the association techniques with the different colors and numbers that I see based off of the sounds. And so, so it actually is a, that way, it's a, actually a blessing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my, my grades were always good grades. I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember coming home crying one time because I had a minus. <laughs> I thought I was going to get in trouble. Oh, you <laughs> so, brat, you, you're just a brat. <laughs> so, well, we didn't have that in common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would be <laughs> clicking my heels. Are you kidding? <laughs> I never forget that day. My mom was like, what, what are you crying for? I said, I have a bad grade. She's like, what do you got? I showed her the A minus and she just started laughing at me. Oh, like I am. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, crazy times. It. Beautiful. Yeah. I would. I remember my mother was an educator, and so I, I had my papers graded twice. You can you can believe wow. me, you and and I did not. If I had an A minus, I knew I was going to get a lollipop. So <laughs> I was hiding my <laughs> I was hiding my report card because it was uh, a, it was what color is F? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh dear. Wow. Uh, okay. Now later on, it became a lot more. I guess as I got into adolescence and, um, you know, started becoming kind of going from a boy to a man, the synesthesia got a little worse. Then it started becoming very irritating. And then as I started talking to some of my friends about it, I realized that they didn't even know what I was talking about. And that's when I realized that I had something that was totally different Mm -hmm. from the average person. So when I'm going from like 12 into 13 is when I started to realize that something I had something that a lot of people didn't even know existed. And I was different. And that kind of made me kind of become a recluse a little bit. And uh, I went into a little bit of a shell, to be quite honest with you, uh, for a little while. Um, and uh, yeah, I was always trying to be cool around the, my friends in school and stuff, but I would never really hang out with anybody or do things or whatever until I got a little bit older and I kind of got over it, you know, mm-hmm. and just sucked it up. But then um, when I became a young man in my um, 20s, I went in for a physical and was talking to a family doctor about it. And that's when he diagnosed me with synesthesia. Hmm. So. And that's when I started. I, knew, I never knew the name of this thing until until that time. And that's when I started looking into it. Oh my God, this is exactly what I have. This yeah. is incredible. Yeah, it's um, intense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I was, uh, you know, I used to play the trumpet, and I, I started my own little jazz band when I was a kid. Now I'm here. I am much older now, and I own a record label. And um, do you really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pantheon Elite Records. We're a nonprofit. We're I'm sorry. We're a nonprofit. I have forbidden us nonprofit. We're a conscious <laughs> record label. It has uh, four artists, including myself. So I've got songs on iTunes and everything else as long as, you know. Yeah. One of our albums that we just came out with a month ago is is on Billboard for the last three weeks. Oh, my God. Oh, oh boy. Is my everybody come on over to HigherJourneys.com as soon as you finish (laughs) this, because I'm going to have a ton of links. Billy, make sure you hook me up with every single seriously, because it's just amazing what you're doing. We're going to get into that uh, a little bit more. There's so much. We'll get into that more, all the, the different organizations you have. And I have a feeling you've got the Midas touch for sure and for good for good reason. 
Okay, so we discovered that we both have synesthesia. My discovery came more just out of being inquisitive, saying, well, okay, what is this? So is there a name for it? And I think I just, at this point, maybe a few years ago, maybe maybe hmm, five, six years ago, I started Googling, I see colors as days of the week or something until I got closer. That's how I discovered. I wasn't mm -hmm. diagnosed. I did not even know you could be. How did, yeah. what did, how did they test you? How, how was it determined? Well, he just started, uh, he sent somebody else in and he started, they started asking me questions about the different colors. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, what does this look like? What is the, what, the, what number is this? What color is this number associated? What color is this letter associated with or whatever? Uh -huh. And they went back into their room and started talking and they came back out and says, oh, you most likely have synesthesia. They obviously had an inclination you did. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been posing yeah. the questions that way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. They said one in 100,000 people get this. So it's not, I mean, that sounds like a lot, but to me, that's, that's a lot of people that are walking around with this. Uh, it's significant. In <laughs> yeah. my research, about three to 5% of the population, mm -hmm. as well as it uh, possibly running in families, which I just, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So. Very mm -hmm. interesting. Well, lots of interesting things here. Also, uh, very curious that this correlations coming up with those who have synesthesia, including ET contact. Mm -hmm. I just recently learned that a gentleman named Ed Edwin or Ed May, who's a researcher who took over for Hal Putoff at the Stargate Research Program. I believe mm -hmm. that's the same as um, uh, at Stanford Research Institute. Uh, mm -hmm. hypothesizes that those who are considered synesthetes may have a predisposition for remote viewing. Essentially, mm -hmm. however their Absolutely. brains are wired, there are, they're more naturally aligned with activities that involve extrasensory perception, which makes perfect sense, get it, to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I was <laughs> trained by Major Ed Dames in remote viewing. <laughs> were you, uh, well, okay, so you just, you just jumped the gun there. That's what I was gonna ask you. What, <laughs> so you, that makes sense to you then? That, do you yes. think that there are people that have, uh, that have this may have a predisposition to that? Do you agree with Ed May? I can see that happening. I mean, for me, it was very natural for me. I remember the very first test I did for remote viewing. Um, and I just said, you know, let me just try this because it was a test and it was a target number and you don't know what the photo is supposed to be. And I said, let me just see if, the, if I'm predispositioned to be able to do this. And the very first test that I took, it came back unbelievable results. It was uh, ex almost exactly what the target image was. And that's when I um, made the connection with Ed Dames and then uh, went and trained directly under him. You did. Uh, wow. With the man, Ed Dames. Yeah, okay. Correct. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I check that, check, check, check. All these things are seem to be connected. Well, look, before we get fully into exploring the synesthesia contact connection, let's let's look at some of the people we've learned are also known to be synesthetes. It's another I didn't know that there was a uh what's that? That's a um plural form. Plural, yeah, it, well not <laughs> synesthete would be the what? That's the uh a noun. Synesthete. That's a it, adjective <laughs> now we're good. this is why i got that f <laughs> i did not know that there was a label for the individual versus synesthesia if, mm -hmm. if you know what i mean anyway we're synesthetes yeah. here are some of the people that you told me and then some other people that i uh, found later on down the line mary mm -hmm. j blige entertainer mary j blige billy joel kanye mm -hmm. west that's interesting mm -hmm. the late marilyn monroe famed artist van gogh Nikolai mm -hmm. Tesla, no surprise there. And guess what, everyone? I recently learned that our mutual colleague and my dear friend, Linda Moulton Howe, is a synesthete. She is too. So mm -hmm. needless to say, we're in some very interesting company, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, very, very. And also Pharrell, like you said earlier, Pharrell. Well, yeah, Pharrell Williams. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. learned we're go- we're going to explore that a little bit. Um, he's not only a synesthete, but I've been talking amongst some colleagues, and we're surmising that he may have had some contact experiences. I have a feeling there's there's a lot more out there having to do with that in him. Uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about Pharrell for a minute because I find that interesting. I I just talked to yet another colleague who happens to be a, a fantastic writer for Psychology Today, and she's done some amazing work um, in the field of synesthesia. And mm-hmm. she's actually uh, she actually has done some work. Uh, well, she actually interviewed uh, Pharrell uh, Williams for a book that she was doing. Um, so I just did a little bit of digging on. Uh, could there be, you know, uh, we've talked about musicians that have purported to have ET contact, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm thinking, I wonder if I could find something on him that might uh, intimate that he may have had some contact experience. So, but let, let me read a couple of quotes that I, I dug up on him, and then we'll mm-hmm. get into the, the UFO thing. He told Remix Magazine, quote, some people make music and they see things. He's talking about synesthesia. Some mm-hmm. people make music and they see things. The condition is called synesthesia. It's mm-hmm. when one of your senses gets more information than what's intended. When you hear, your ears send auditory images to your brain. But some people conjure visual images to the sound as well. That's synesthesia. And mm-hmm. then he goes on to say, sure, my lyrics are inspired by uh, synesthesia. Uh, you ask any great rapper or writer or musician, and they'll tell you their craziest ideas come from the shower or the plane, because in both places there is sensory deprivation. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. So how yeah. might that fold into this whole thing when we're deprived of our five senses? Could yeah. that trigger the synesthesia or, you know, in some cases, you think? Well, even with, with a normal person, uh, not to say normal, but with a person that may not have synesthesia or at the level that some of us may have it. Uh, when Let's say that person, uh, God forbid, goes blind. OK, well, yeah. their hearing is going to become enhanced. Yes. Because of the deprivation of, of sight, if your hearing goes bad, then your eyesight is going to be enhanced because of the deprivation of hearing. So this is a way of the human body adjusting in certain conditions and situations. So I can definitely see with um, with deprivation of different types of senses, other senses will pick up the slack or try to pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's even been cases where you can look up of people that um, have are blind that use echolocation to move around like bats. Yes. Uh, you know, so that's these are human beings doing the same thing that bats can do. So by making clicking noises, picking up the vibrations back to the ears and actually getting an image like a side scan radar image in their mind of what's out there and maneuvering around things. There's one kid I saw years ago riding a bike and skateboarding and everything totally blind using echolocation. Um, you know, so these things can happen in the human body, the human body and the human brain is just so amazing at what it's capable of doing. Absolutely. You know, and I think that we've kind of lost touch with a lot of that because of uh, all of the um, all of the things that we come, be, we've become dependent on that make our lives, we think make our lives so much easier, like technology. Mm-hmm. We've kind of lost touch with, with nature and our own nature in a lot of ways, too. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see how we can fold in this contact or experiencer slash synesthesia connection. Guys, this is an exploratory discussion. I, I'll share with my high, Higher Journeys audience as, as I was preparing for the show uh, with Billy uh, yesterday. And I knew I wanted to at least touch on synesthesia. And obviously, we had agreed that you would tell your ET contact experience. But then I had this aha, the proverbial aha moment. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, could there be a connection here? 
we've got such a variety of entry points to contact, uh, more than I can certainly count. And I've taken a lot of those accounts personally uh, from people. But so, so I can't say that this is, you know, one to one. It's always the case. But I dare say there may be something here. And the question becomes, and I, I think when we talked offline, you kind of agreed there could be, maybe, mm-hmm. could be. Yeah. Uh, that's as far as I'm going to go, could be, maybe. We're going to explore this more. But the question that then emerged for me, Billy, is, hmm, if there's a connection, I wonder what would come first, kind of like a chicken and egg. Mm-hmm. Let's say you had an ET contact encounter, and then all of a sudden you find yourself making these strange sense associations or different associations with your senses, or is it the other way around? In other words, does one beget the other, you mm-hmm. think? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I think that with synesthesia, uh, people are typically born with it. Maybe it can get stronger over time because, like I said, when I went into my adolescence, when I, I really started irritating me and harassing me a lot more, mm-hmm. um, I think my headset's a time telling me it's almost dead. Hold on one sec. Let me plug them back in. No problem. <laughs> okay. All right, folks. We're gonna <laughs> oh, we will keep it okay. going here. And it, and by the way, by the way, I'm going to say to the audience. As as many of you know, I love to put the questions out there. Please do not be shy and leaving your comments on, do you have synesthesia? Remember, that's how we started the show, right? Do you have it? Are you a synesthete? Tell us your experiences. And moreover, might you be a synesthete and also a contactee? So we'll take this little commercial break to talk about that. Please do reach out to us on uh, either our Facebook page directly at Higher Journeys or, of course, uh, below this YouTube uh, video uh, that we'll be um, posting. So, Billy, you back? Yes, I'm here. Okay, there you go. All yeah, right. Okay. So basically, um, uh, we were going with. Uh, oh, yeah. So you, I think that people are born with it, but um, it can be enhanced over time, or depending on maybe, um, I don't know, it could be hormones or whatever, whatever it is. I know that when I went to my adolescence, it got a little bit more, a lot, a little bit worse. But um, hmm. I'm thinking that these. If, if there is a connection that maybe these um, these alien entities or these beings, whether they're multidimensional or aliens or whatever anybody believes they are, they could be targeting a specific genetic makeup of a person, a person with these different types of abilities or enhanced um, you know, cognitive functions so that they can impart information or maybe even themselves. Uh, just investigate or download information because a lot of these ETs in my personal opinion are like scientists mm-hmm. that are studying um, you know like how we study lab rats and we study uh, we study things in the lab and we t- to gain information about them and knowledge about them and and, um, and just kind of figure out what they're all about and how they work and operate mm-hmm. uh, kind of like anthropology I think a lot of these ETs are like anthropologists to be honest with you they're just monitoring and observing us and just um uh, really just trying to figure out more about the species and the race. Some of them could be taking genetic material for different specific types of reasons. Um, but, um, you know, I think that they could target people who they feel have these different types of cognitive functions mm. just because they may be more receptive to whatever the agenda that they have for us is. Right. Very, very um, well put. I agree. I happen to think it's all on the table, Billy, in terms of their their... their purpose in interacting with us, with us to whatever degree uh, mm-hmm. in, in the with the assumption that there are many different species, some malevolent, yeah. some benevolent, some neutral, 
Mm-hmm. But I, I think you have a really, you're onto something there. Good point that for those who have a slightly different um, configuration biologically, psychologically, the entry point of contact between non-human intelligence and the re- eventual recipient has to be a, somewhat unique. You know, it's mm-hmm. interesting. I just got an email today from uh, someone who watches the show or listens, listens and watches who mm-hmm. is desperate to have contact. This person mm-hmm. is interested. I believe he's about 68 years old. And mm-hmm. he said, Alexis, can you please give me some advice? I really, And he was a very polite email. I, yeah. I don't know quite how to answer because I don't know if there is a pat answer on, well, here's my manual on yeah. how to have contact. But I do think that in more cases than not, the entry point to the contact comes through a, a, a sort of gap in in the senses. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not necessary. Some, in your case, it was physical. Sometimes it's right. not. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're taken physically. Sometimes you're not. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's something that can't even be defined. So, mm-hmm. you know, I want to go back to your 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 experience. This big one. They're they're all mm-hmm. big, of course. Seeing the orb yeah. was big. Two thousand nine was huge. Mm-hmm. I want to go to something that UFO researcher Grant Cameron has said many times, and I've used this before. Based on his extensive research, he feels that if a person recalls just one experience at some point in their lives, then he believes that that person is a lifer, a lifelong experiencer. He he calls them a lifer. Do you think, do you have a suspicion? I mean, even keeping in mind the one that you had as a child, the orb, do you have a suspicion that you may have had multiple experiences that you're just not recalling right now? It's very possible. And the reason why I say that is because of certain dreams that I would say that I've had. I considered them dreams, not real experiences. Uh, and I always thought that they might just be um, flashbacks of what happened or, um, you know, my mind wants to go that way because uh, because of the experience that I had, the big experience in, in back then. But um, it's very possible that these were not experiences that they could have been real because these people or these entities, their technology is so advanced. They have the capability of mind wiping you, making your th- experiences feel like dreams. Uh, giving you that surreal type of feeling to where you can't really put a finger on it and say it was real or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they have that kind of technology. So it's very, it's very possible that some of these dreams that I've had over the years about this situation and even going further into other situations were not dreams. And you just never really know. Um, you know, I, I just, the more I looked into it and the more I started researching all of the people and now it's in the millions of people that have come forward to talk about these beings that have come and, engage them at, at some point or another I've come to the realization that I'm not not only not only am I not the only one mm-hmm. but there's multi millions of people out there that have gone through the same thing or different scenarios of it which makes it to me very very real yeah I happen to believe that there may be millions or billions that have had some form of contact and are unconscious of it mm-hmm yes yes so very interesting i keep thinking about the this encounter billy carson wow i, I don't even know what adjective to use what <laughs> just wow uh not just because i mean this was a very physical experience i think we could even put ourselves in your room and see it you you were so explicit in the way you described yeah. it mm-hmm. i just keep thinking that these you know the the raging debate of are they good or are they bad i happen to think mm-hmm. there's a spectrum but in this yeah. case it seems that these two Grays were invested in having you carry out a mission. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. think? No, I definitely believe that. I mean, and it's, you know, like I said, it's 
it's almost uh, it's very uncomfortable to even admit something like that because you you don't want to be like, well, these I'm influenced by gray gray aliens. It just sounds like you're a lunatic. I mean, to be honest with you, um, see what the media has done. See what the media has done to us. That's horrible. They've got us where we're we're afraid to talk about these you know experiences and where we and then we feel like we're not even a human being anymore if, if something like this happens to us. It took me a long time to get to this point, mm. you know, but um, I'm glad that I'm here now because hopefully, like you say, somebody else will hear me talk about this and they'll be able to come out and talk about it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I really do feel like um, they definitely, they definitely, the word worldwide telescope, that's something that will never, ever, I'll never forget. It was literally burnt into my mind and I had never heard of this this uh, I thought it was a website. It, it turned out to be software uh, that you have to install on your computer, and um, it was a process that you know go through it, download, install it, reboot the computer, and everything else to get to it and open it up, and you have to learn how to use it. Um, it's real specific software. And it's very technical because you can go into different modes, different uh, satellite imagery modes to view different types of stars and quasars and brown dwarfs and everything else using the data from the Wise telescopes, using the data from the Huygens probes the Mars Curiosity Rover, Opportunity Spirit Rovers, uh, the Mars Global Surveyor, uh, Apollo 11 missions, all this is in there. It's amazing. And, amazing. Um, yeah, and, and I literally, like I said, this was something that I really feel they gave to me. I'm not going to try to even dance around the bushes. I really feel this is something they planted in my head. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. Let me ask you, is this uh, the Worldwide Telescope software, is this something that anyone could get access to today? Absolutely. They've actually upgraded it now to an HTML5 version. The last time I was on that website, which was a few months ago. So now you can use the HTML5, which means you won't have to install or you can install it for Mac or or Windows version as well still and uh, utilize it. Okay. Is um, this a link you could share with our audience? Yeah, definitely. I sure okay, will. If you could give that to me. Links. Okay, that's yeah. perfect. Oh, that's amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Let's do this. We're going to wind down. Then I want you to talk a little bit about your your wonderful trip you just came back from. But just another reference on the synesthesia contact connection. And believe me, guys, if if you're liking what you're hearing, where we're what tree we're barking at, we may take this a bit further. But I want to just leave you with this on the the connection. Another reference that I found to be rather curious, uh, and that's the closing scene from the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg mm. film. I so wish we could play the clip for our audience, but due to copyright issues, that won't mm-hmm. be happening. I'm not going to take that chance. So instead, I'm going to put a link to where you can watch that closing scene. And most of you have seen it. The most of obviously you've seen the movie. Uh, you you know that famous scene where it's a group of scientists who are playing notes on a giant keyboard as a form of communication with the mothership. And if you recall, I'll send the link once again. The mothership responds by regurgitating the notes back out, but along with the sounds, each note is accompanied by a specific color, mm-hmm. a spectrum of color. Isn't that interesting? Yep, that's right. Very reminiscent of synesthesia. There you go. Yeah. So and there's a, yeah. I was going to say there's a real quick on psychologytoday.com, psychology today. There's a, I'll, I'll send you a link to this article that I had looked up. Where actually a real quick quote, one paragraph says, anomalous experiences include such phenomena as synesthesia. They're talking about alien abductions. Anomalous experiences include such phenomena as synesthesia, hallucinations, lucid dreaming, past life memories, and alien abduction, amongst others. Ah. Many of these experiences are fascinating, possibly disturbing, or life-changing for the people who experience them. And they uh, often change our understanding of consciousness and the universe we inhabit. There you have it. 
please send that link. That would be fantastic. Yes. And by the way, mm -hmm. I think I saw that. Yeah, I think okay. th I think I may even know who the author is on that one, but we're going to leave cool. that for now. But oh, wow, this is really interesting, guys. I'm I'm um, let's see where we can go with it. But listen, we're, we're about to sign off. But before we do, uh, tell us what you've been up to. I know you just returned from the Yucatan and saw some great stuff. What was happening? Oh, yeah. Finally got back down there after 20 years to the Yucatan Peninsula uh, down in Mexico. Um, first time I was, the first time I went to Tulum, I've never been there before. Tulum are these amazing uh, pyramids that are actually on the beach at this wall, at this, uh, you know, kind of natural wall break or break wall, if you want to call it, overlooking the ocean. What an amazing, amazing place. The structures that are there, you still cannot put a human hair in between the stones. Wow. <laughs> that, these things are thousands of years old. They're trying to say they're only a few hundred years old, but they come on. I know much better than that already. The um, the truth about the structures there at Tulum and at Chichen Itza, where I went down in the Yucatan, uh, these structures are um, they're far older than anybody knows, and they were built by the Teotihuacans, who are were led by Thoth the Atlantean, who came over from Egypt with the Olmecs and built these structures. The Mayans actually inherited these locations many hundreds of years later, and then even hundreds of years after that, the Aztecs came in and inherited the locations, that, the structures that were already there. They didn't build the structures that were there, they inherited what was there. Kind of like how the Egyptians from the dynastic periods inherited what the Kemetic uh, dynasties left behind as well, mm. with Giza and everything else. All that stuff has been there for 30, 40,000 years, far older than anybody's talking about in the mainstream. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, mm. yeah. <laughs> and you got to see it. And you said you got some great, some great footage with some fancy yeah. camera equipment. So where can we... I got the 4K footage. I can't wait to put together some mini documentaries and information about it. Um, it's going to be amazing. Do you think we'll be able to see some of that on Gaia? Nice segue. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just talking to them yesterday, as a matter of fact. So I'm putting together a lot of the content that I got from Cambodia, Mangkor Wat. Uh, from all the different uh, surrounding temples there, as well as uh, the Yucatan Peninsula and Tulum. Uh, so I've got a lot of jungle video <laughs> around the world. <laughs> it's going to be uh, a treat for everyone. Yeah. Go on over to yeah. Gaia and, and, and get yourself hooked up so you can see Billy. Let's, let's transition and talk about that in our closing minutes. What do you have going on on Gaia right now? And what will you have, including this great stuff? Well, right now I'm on Deep Space Season 1 and Season 2 uh, on Gaia, which we... For me, well, I'm, I'm a host that talks about the ancient times, so I kind of connect the ancient with the modern. So I'm talking about the ancient space program, really, is what I'm mostly talking about, and how those technologies from ancient times kind of correlate to things that we have today. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what I do there. And then um, I've been on Ancient Civilizations as well, which is another show that kind of talks about, kind of goes in some, into some of the technology from ancient times, but also talks about um, some of the... Um, uh, the, fall, the downfall of how religion is man-made and how it kind of really has um, sidetracked mankind's consciousness. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm putting together some documentation and some episodes to, um, to get my own show, uh, which would most likely be called Forbidden Knowledge with Billy Carson. Love it. And yeah, it's going to be amazing because what's going to happen is right now when I make a post to some content to my, my followers on social media, it's only, a, you know, 2,200 characters at most. And... Um, they get a chance to get a, a small taste of what I'm talking about, but a lot of people always want more. They want to get a better understanding. So now, not every post, but for some posts, I'll be able to say, if you want to learn more about this, go to my Gaia channel, which I already have a channel up. 
but they'll be able to go there and find out more information on that specific content and maybe look at a 30 or 45 minute episode about that and then get to see uh, and learn a lot more information than just looking at an Instagram post or a Facebook post. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that'll help a lot of people out, especially because I like to use a lot of visual learning techniques, so they'll be able to see a lot of things, and they'll be able to grasp a little bit more than they normally would. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, perfect. Yeah. Well, I believe there is a link for you right now uh, to take to, to your Gaia page, yes? Mm-hmm. Yes, there is, yeah. Okay. You can just go to Gaia.com slash forbidden so that's g-a-i-a dot com mm-hmm. forward slash the number four b-i-d-d-e-n mm-hmm. or you can go to forbiddenknowledge.com or the number four forbiddenknowledge.com and you can del- there's links there that will take you to my guide page or you can download my forbidden knowledge mobile app Oof. on itunes or <laughs> google <Oof>. play <laughs> the number four forbidden knowledge there's over fifty thousand downloads already Oh, my Lord. Well, guess what, everyone? You're going to have to come over to HigherJourneys.com. I don't even think the YouTube description will allow you to put all of those links. Seriously, come to HigherJourneys.com. We will have Billy's uh, interview prominently placed. As soon as you're done listening, come on over. Or You may be originating on the website, but make sure you check out. We'll have every conceivable link that is associated with Billy Carson on that post, I guarantee you. What can I say, Mr. Carson? You the man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You the woman. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. Well, listen, it it was just such a pleasure to have uh, have the chance to meet meet up with you quickly at Contact. But we're going to be getting together soon in person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stay tuned, guys. We're going to be doing it on camera. Uh, talk about visuals. <laughs> Maybe he'll have yeah. some some more visuals for us uh, when when we meet again. But for the time being, we are just so appreciative, so appreciative for your for your courage and you. um, your grace in telling us this story. And just know and trust Billy that it is for the highest good. So I thank, thank you, you yes. for that. Thank you for that. Don't hang up. Uh, I want to chat with you offline for a minute. But for now, okay. everyone in the Higher Journeys audience, as always, we thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.